things can go wrong, right? Even in healthy, low-risk pregnancies. And while death in pregnancy is less common, like I said, after week 12, it's certainly still possible. And it isn't as rare as we think. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, we're talking about stillbirth prevention. And I know this topic can be very heavy and can provoke anxiety for a lot of mamas. It is not something that anybody wants to talk about or wants to even think about. But even though this info may make you uncomfortable, it is so, so important, guys, to talk about it. As someone who has cared for mamas experiencing a stillbirth, it is not something I would wish on even my worst enemy. So bear with me as you listen to this episode. And remember, I am not trying to increase your anxiety. Our goal here at Mommy Labor Nurse is to bring awareness to this topic and help reduce the number of preventable stillbirths that happen every year because there are so many that are preventable. Here you'll learn about what a stillbirth is, some statistics surrounding this tragedy, risk factors, and some actionable things you can do to help prevent stillbirth. All right, so by definition, stillbirth is the death of a baby anytime after the 20th week of pregnancy or during delivery. Any death or loss that occurs before week 20 is defined as a miscarriage. And beyond the broad definition of death after 20 weeks up until delivery, the CDC explains that stillbirth is broken down into early, late, or term. Okay. So an early stillbirth happens between 20 and 27 weeks. A late stillbirth happens between 28 and 36 weeks. And a term stillbirth happens anytime after 37 weeks up until delivery. All right. So let's talk about some statistics. The statistics around stillbirth in the United States show that stillbirth is a lot more prevalent that many women realize, okay, it's awful. So to help you digest and understand the reality of this risk of stillbirth, I'm just going to list out some facts. So first up, stillbirth affects around one in 160 births in the United States. This totals to a little more than 22,000 stillbirths per year. It is 10 times more common than SIDS, but it's discussed far, far less, right? Like we hear about SIDS prevention all the time, but we don't hear about stillbirth very often. An estimated 25% of stillbirths are classified as potentially preventable, which is crazy to me, but it's true. And only 10% of stillbirths are due to genetic abnormalities. All right, so let's talk about risk factors. So probably the first thing that's going through your head is like, am I at risk for this? Like, are there people that, you know, are higher risk? So the answer to this question is that yes, there are risk factors for stillbirth for sure, but I don't want this to lead you into like a false sense of security or a false sense of anxiety. Okay. So risk factors mean that you may have a slightly increased risk for stillbirth, 
but not having a risk factor doesn't mean you are entirely in the clear either. Okay. It really can strike anyone and shows no boundaries, which is very, very unfortunate. Okay. So let's talk about risk factors. So risk factors, (sighs) number one, pregnant women of color do seem to have a higher risk of stillbirth. If you're over the age of 25, which is like a crazy like big range, right? If you have a low socioeconomic status, if you smoke during your pregnancy, if you have certain medical conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, or obesity, if you're pregnant with multiples, if you've had previous pregnancy loss, if you lack access to quality prenatal care, or if you lack access to social and emotional support resources. All right, so now that we've determined the risk factors and that stillbirth can unfortunately affect any mama at random, let's talk about prevention, okay? So that's probably the next thing that goes through your head, like, okay, am I at risk? Okay, maybe not, or maybe I am, but what can I actually do to really prevent this? So you'll remember that I said an estimated 25% of stillbirths are considered potentially preventable. So yeah, like, what gives? (laughs) My friends over at PUSH, for Empowered Pregnancy. Love them. I got connected with them earlier this year, and they're really doing incredible work for this effort. They're really, really trying to minimize that 25% to 0%. That is their goal, and I think that's awesome. They provide the most comprehensive information and actionable tips that I've really seen out there to really do something about these outrageous facts about stillbirth. I collaborated with them back, I think it was August of 2021. And they provided me with a lot of concrete advice that I am just going to run over in this podcast episode because I think it's really, really great. But if you want to go check them out, like I said, they are called Push for Empowered Pregnancy. They've got an Instagram page and they've also got a website, lots and lots of really great info on preventing stillbirth over at their page. All right. So before I get into some tips on how to reduce your risk of stillbirth, I do just want to say at face value, you know, there is no pregnancy safe zone. Okay. That is a false narrative. Like you're not safe after 12 weeks of pregnancy or 13 weeks of pregnancy out of the first trimester from miscarriage. Obviously the stat drops significantly, but it does not mean you're safe. And I'm not trying to say that to scare you. I just, you guys know this. I like to be real with y'all, right? I don't like to sugarcoat stuff. I am more of the type that, hey, you know what? Like we need to put this stuff out there and make people aware instead of like being hush hush about it. Okay. So regarding pregnancy safe zone, things can go wrong, right? Even in healthy, low risk pregnancies. And while death in pregnancy is less common, like I said, after week 12, it's certainly still possible and it isn't as rare as we think. Simply knowing this as a fact and having information about how to spot a problem is so powerful. And that is really my goal with this podcast episode. It's so powerful to helping your provider intervene accordingly. I believe knowledge is power, guys. But for some reason, there is a weird and far too prevalent theory that women may become hysterical and overly stressed if they are informed about stillbirth. You know, I get it. It's like that kind of red flag when you see a post about stillbirth or you read something about stillbirth, but it's something that we need to talk about, guys. And I think the fact that we don't talk about it really sets women up for failure that, you know, go on to have stillbirths. It's a really big issue. 
we really can't decrease the rate of stillbirths without empowering moms and their partners with the signs of fetal distress and teaching them, teaching you guys how to advocate for yourselves and for your babies. All right. So with that said, let's go into some tips. So I've got seven tips here and I'm just going to run through them. I think these are very concrete and I think if I'm scaring you right now, I think if you continue to listen to the rest of the episode, I'm going to decrease your fear. And again, I am sorry. I'm not trying to scare you guys. I know that this topic is really, really heavy. Okay. But it is so, so important to talk about. All right. So the first tip to reduce the risk of stillbirth is number one, always ask. Okay. This first tip is really about empowerment. Okay. You should never, ever, ever hesitate to call your healthcare team, your provider, or better yet, just go in, you know, just go into your ER or your labor and delivery. If you have any concerns, I'll talk about that more in depth a little bit later, but if for some reason you're calling, it's the weekend or it's night, you can't get a hold of your provider. And you're like, I really feel like something is up. Just go in. We're here. You know, like the hospital is open 24 hours and we are here and we are more than happy to check up on you and your baby and make sure everything is okay. It very well might be a false alarm if you come in, but it's really never wasted effort. And in L&D, like I said, we never mind. We have people come up all the time to check up on baby because they feel like their baby's not moving as much and we are more than happy to bring you in and just make sure everything's okay. We know that a change in movement is a sign of potential complications. And I promise you that your provider would rather hear from you every single time, even if it's 10 times a day, okay, than risk you being that one instance that ends in stillbirth. There are a ton of studies out there that report pregnant women feeling worried about calling their provider and having the perception of like wasting their time, right? Like that's not a thing. Okay. Like you're hearing me right now. It is not wasting your provider's time. And if for some reason you feel like you're calling your provider and you feel like you're bothering them or they feel bothered, then it might be time to think about switching providers because we are here for you, you know, and you are not wasting your time if you're calling and wanting to check up on you or your baby. You really can't be afraid to raise that red flag. Okay. It might save your baby's life. I know that sounds crazy and like dramatic. It's really not dramatic though, but I know it kind of sounds dramatic. Like it might save your baby's life, but it's true. It really might. All right. The sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. All right. This is a short one. She says, thank you for your class. Although I got an epidural, the Birth It Up Natural Series class prepared me so much. Knowing the phases of labor helped me labor a lot at home. I got to the hospital at seven centimeters dilated. Woo! It was still a very lengthy labor upon arrival, but I knew what was happening. I knew how to push. I knew my body. Oh, short and sweet. I love it. If you want to check out this course that this mama took, she took Birth It Up, the natural series, and you can head over to mommylabornurse.com and click on the natural series. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. All right. So the next tip, use your mom voice. I know that that kind of goes with the first tip, but it deserves its own tip. Mom voice is very, very powerful. Okay. When you do contact your provider with a concern, you should always be heard and taken seriously. Full stop. I know I started to talk about this, but we're going to break this down. Okay. If your provider is not hearing your concern, keep insisting, do whatever it takes to be heard. If needed, 
You can bring your support person to back you up, whoever it may be, or even get a second opinion from another provider or another practice entirely. Like I said, you really should never go home without proper testing and reassurance that everything is okay with you and baby. Because the fact is that you are your baby's best advocate and no one knows your body or your baby better than you. If your gut is telling you that something is wrong, keep advocating until you see results that put you at ease. You, your baby, and your care providers are a team. And if you're not acting like a team, okay, if there's like somebody who's not a team player in this, sometimes baby's not a team player. You can't control them, right? But if you don't feel like this is a little team, we need to find somebody else, okay? We need to find somebody who is a team player. All right, next tip, third tip, know you're normal, okay? One of the best ways to keep babies safe is bonding with them inside your belly, okay? Getting in tune with them will really help you know their typical movement patterns. You want to really have a sense of how often they typically move, how strong their movements are, and if certain things you do typically cause a response, okay? Like if you're listening to loud music, if you're drinking something cold, if you're changing positions, if you're not moving at all. Sometimes babies like to move when you're just not doing anything, (laughs) So by knowing you're normal, you'll be much more aware when things aren't normal, right? That makes sense. So this is exactly when to make that call. If you feel like, oh, you know what? I just feel like something, you know, baby's not moving like she normally moves, you know, when I drink this cold drink or she's not moving tonight as much as she was, you know, last night. Take your intuition seriously, okay? Even if you can't quite pinpoint why. Pediatricians, have been trained for decades to trust a mother's gut feelings when it comes to their baby, and that connection starts during pregnancy. You are a mom already, okay? Even though your baby's still inside of you, you are a mom. Number four, count your kicks, okay? That goes along with, you know, the third one, know you're normal, and this just is, we're going to talk about kick counts and like how to really know you're normal. Okay, so once you hit week 28 of your pregnancy, it is very important to start doing daily kick counting. And this is basically where you lie quietly for two hours and try to feel 10 movements. And oftentimes you don't have to lay there for two hours. You have to lay there for about five minutes or 15 minutes and they move 10 times. But some babies, you know, still are a little bit slower and that's their norm and they do 10 movements in two hours. That's still within normal. So research shows that kick counting is a free and super effective way for mamas to track baby's well-being, spot potential problems, and prevent stillbirth. Yay. So how do you do kick counts, Liesl? Oh, I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. So first up, set aside a time once per day to lie or recline in a quiet place and focus on baby's movements. Okay. I used to do this, let's see, with Walter, I was working night shifts. So like when I would get off in the morning and I would kind of lay down for bed, I would, that's kind of when I would do it. And he was pretty active, so I didn't have to lay there for very long. And then I would just go to sleep. With Ryland, I kind of did it not same time, but like before I would, you know, go to bed when I'm just kind of laying there. But whatever it makes sense for you. So you want to try and do your kick counting when baby is usually active. Okay. And like I said, for me, it was mostly at night or like in the evening. Some moms, it's right after you eat a big meal. According to ACOG, you should feel 10 movements in two hours. Okay. Movements can be kicks, flutters, swishes, rolls, jabs, or anything in between. All babies are different. 
Some mamas will feel 10 movements in 10 minutes, like I said. Others might take the full two hours, okay? Kick counting regularly helps you notice your baby's unique movement patterns, which will make it easier to spot a change. And to go back when I was describing the kicks, flutters, switches, rolls, and jabs, hiccups actually do not count as a movement. Okay. So if you can tell the difference between hiccups, I always could because it's like this rhythmic kind of like little movement and it's rhythmic. You know, it happens like every few seconds. Those are hiccups and those do not count. But anything else, if you feel, you know, a roll or a big old jab or a big old jab and then a little jab that counts as two, those are movements. So if baby does not seem to be moving, try laying on your left side or having an ice cold drink, okay? So as you do this, I want you to be aware of your baby's typical movement patterns and remember that just because baby is getting bigger doesn't mean that they will move less. This is a huge myth, you guys. I've done lots of posts on this and no, (laughs) just because they get bigger in there does not mean that they are going to move less. Okay. That is so untrue. And I hate that narrative and I hate like, ugh. I've seen influencers talk on their story and YouTube videos of people saying like, oh, she's at my doctor. And yeah, like, you're just saying that, you know, baby's getting bigger. So, you know, sometimes get less room in there. And it's like, no, that is so untrue. Okay. The movements might feel different. Okay. Because it's true that they have a little bit less room to move, but they're still going to move. Okay. It might be kind of like rolls instead of like sharp kicks because they're bigger, but they're still going to be moving just as much. If you have any sense that your baby is moving less than is typical for them, or you do not feel 10 movements in two hours, call your provider immediately, okay? Or like I said, just head straight into the ER or labor and delivery if your gut is really telling you that something really isn't right. In addition to this, there is an app out there now. It's called Count the Kicks app, and it's a great little tool that you can download on your phone. I believe it's for iOS and Android, and it just kind of gets you started. It provides data to share with your provider if you should notice a change in movement patterns. It's basically something that you can pull up and you just hit you know, the button when you feel kick. And it also even has a function to track your strength of movements as well. And then the last thing I want to say about kick counting is even though we say 10 movements in two hours, that is the standard, right? If for some reason your baby is like my baby was, like Walter and Rylan, they were both very active babies, and you always lay down and you're like feeling 10 movements in the first 10 minutes, right? And then one day it takes your baby much longer, like 90 minutes, you know, an hour, like a long time, even if it's in within that norm, right? If you feel like it's off for your baby, that is still red flag too, okay? Just because your baby is moving 10 movements in two hours, if they pretty much always move pretty quickly and then they're taking this really long time, even though it's still within that normal range, that is still a very, very good reason to call. All right, we got three more tips. So number five, movement matters, okay? So when I say that movement matters, I am not just talking about them, you know, happening in general, but also about the strength and the speed, okay? I started talking about this, but 
you know, there's this huge myth that babies slow down or move less as they get bigger. And this is really, really not true. Okay. According to push for empowered pregnancy, movement should get stronger actually right up through birth, though the style of movements will change. Like I said, as they have less room to wind up and kick you. Okay. Think about like a small baby in kind of the same space and they just have like, they can just kick you a little harder versus like a bigger baby. They're still kicking, but it's just less room to wind up and kick. (laughs) So a change in movement, whether faster or slower, can be also your baby's way of letting you know that they are in distress and they need intervention. So with that said, I like to give this example. So if you have the flu, right, or you have a cold, anytime you feel sick, you know, usually it feels good to just kind of lay in bed and not really move. You don't want to be super active, right? This is what's happening with baby, okay? If baby's not feeling well, they're not getting adequate blood flow, this is why they slow down their movements. It's the same reason why like we as human adults or children or, you know, anybody, when we don't feel well, we don't want to move. All right, so number six, respond urgently to change. Just to drive home that point, okay? I want to put this one as like a separate point. Your response to change needs to be urgent. If an emergency is happening, really every minute matters. Okay. Don't wait to be seen. If you have any concerns, even if you have an appointment the next morning or later in that day, if you really feel something is up at 9am in the morning and you have an appointment later at 3pm, that's, can I do math? Six hours, (laughs) six hours. And let's call as soon as you feel like something's up. If baby is really in a vulnerable position, things can go south very quickly. This might be your only chance to act. I know that sounds dramatic, but it's true. You might quite literally be saving your baby's life. A reassuring NST or ultrasound may not show what is causing your baby to be in distress, okay? So if you're still noticing movement changes, be direct with your medical team and make sure that they consider intervention options like early delivery if necessary instead of just a wait and see approach. All right. So number seven, the last tip is about COVID. So take precautions against COVID-19. Did you know that emerging research is showing that COVID-19 in pregnancy not only poses a greater risk to mom, but is associated with poor outcomes for baby too. And I'm not trying to say that to scare you. I know, I mean, gosh, like everybody in their and their mother has had COVID now, right? Like if you're pregnant, you've had COVID. I don't want you to hear that and be like, oh my God. But this is just, we got to say this, right? Pregnancies with COVID infection are as high as four times more likely to end in stillbirth. Okay. And there's a source I will leave in the show notes page if you want to read that stat. So beyond that, COVID-19 in pregnancy is associated with an increase in preterm birth, preeclampsia, heart complications, and more. The best defense here is to get your COVID vaccine. Okay. I know that is a hot button issue. I know, but it is not one that I, you know, just not want to talk about. Okay. Vaccination really is the best thing that you can do for yourself and your unborn baby. I did a podcast episode a while back with Dr. Marta Perez. It was like a little bonus episode that I did on the podcast where we talked about facts about the COVID vaccine and pregnancy. I know, guys, I know this is a hot topic and it's one that people have very strong opinions on, but I'm definitely on the side of you know, vaccines are cool and we like vaccines. And that episode was not, you know, not an episode to like drive things down your throat, but it was more for people who 
are on the fence and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to get it. You know, we just really talked about facts. All right. So to wrap up, there are a number of wonderful organizations and resources out there to help you learn about preventing stillbirth. Okay. Cope with a stillbirth, navigating pregnancy after, after a stillbirth and support a loved one experiencing this reality. Unfortunately, if it becomes your reality, I hope nobody listening right now, this becomes your reality because as somebody who's taking care of moms who are experiencing stillbirth, like I said in the intro, it is not something that I would wish on my worst enemy. It is not, not fun, not fun at all. I will leave those resources in the show notes page if you want to check them out. There's a podcast episode, a few podcast episodes that I did regarding stillbirth. I had a mom come on. Amanda came on episode 24 and talked about her stillbirth birth story with Juniper. I interviewed the founder and director of the Star Legacy Foundation. We talked about poor pregnancy outcomes. That was episode 63. And then there's just a few more resources in the show notes page that I will leave. All right. That is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you guys. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know I've said this a billion times in this episode, but I know this is a hot topic. It's a not so nice thing to talk about, but it's so important guys. Okay. So thank you for sticking with me. Make sure you send this episode to, you know, a friend who's pregnant or somebody who's pregnant right now. And also just as a closing remark, if for some reason you're in a group of friends or you're around somebody who's pregnant and they're saying things like, oh yeah, my baby's just, you know, not moving as much today. Or I heard from my provider that, you know, because I'm getting bigger now, you know, I'm getting closer to term that baby is, you know, it's a little bit less room and blah, blah, blah. Say no, no. Okay. I learned from Liesl, a mommy labor nurse, that that is not true. And if you ever hear anybody say, I feel like my baby's not moving as much, say, hey, call your provider. That is not normal. All right, that is it. I will catch you guys next week. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place. Ladies, at Essentia Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here, we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essentia Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more.